0: There is hope for us yet. We are young, we are wet I am Laura McCowan.
1: No and I am faith, Holly no Whitaker. And this
0: no is Home
1: Podcast. Is.
0: And so we
1: would Hey, hey Holly. Am I whispering? Yeah. I mean, you were. I was trying to talk Hi. slowly. Hello.
0: Hello, hello. I always happy love Friday.
1: We do these things back to back. Um, hey, girl, happy Friday. It's Friday.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I keep having to remind myself that it is a truly lost concept of days.
1: Um, I know. I always forget, too. It's cool.
0: But it is uh, it is Friday, and we... Are in our house. pajamas. Oh, yeah, I am in my pajamas. I am mm-hmm. in a, um.
1: No bra pajamas. Me too. I'm not wearing underwear, but I really I, I mean, I don't know about you. Do
0: you wear underwear? I never
1: wear no. underwear. Okay.
0: Not unless I wear underwear when I go to bed usually. I wear like a tank top or because uh, well, you're sleeping a in the and,
1: underwear. Right. Like they're your pajamas. That's not really underwear. I'm actually
0: like asking. No, I never wear underwear. Like, under my jeans?
1: Never. Yeah. No, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. I'm it's sure awesome. My mom gets much better horror- for knowing that. My mom is horrified by it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why? Like, you're going to get – like, your badge is going to get ruined or something? My what badge breathes.
1: It breathes. It's not – it's free. <laughs> and she just thinks it's, like, really unhygienic. She, my sister and I, I both was- don't. And she's just always like, oh, my God, you girls – um I think it's less hygienic to I don't know. She's from the um, tidy whitey generation. She's got when I it's really funny, this is probably this is way too much information, but when I go home, I wear her underwear. Um as like because they're this these like huge okay. white underwear. They're like wearing your dad's boxers. <laughs> I <don't> know
0: <laughs> I never have and never will wear my dad's boxers.
1: <laughs> oh. I did in high school. But I know
0: what you mean. It's like wearing your boyfriend's boxers.
1: I've never done that um, um I feel like I want to go back about two minutes um no, <laughs> start over.
0: This is great, and it just reminded me of um <laughs> I watched <laughs> Eliza Schlesinger last night because one of my friends kept telling me about this little skit she does about um that she imagines that the vagina is, she's like, no one wants to call a vagina a vagina, especially when you're like having sex and you know, Oh, that feels so good on my vagina. And I actually don't mind the word, but, I don't but when she explains it, it was really funny. And she's like, it sounds like a, a nightclub <laughs> or no, no, it sounds like a, a Indian casino. Like what's going on at vagina. Um, <laughs> But the funny part is she was like, <clears throat> you know, what if the, the, you're, it's like, she imagines it to be a cartoon character that you have to like summon before you want to, before you're going to have sex. And it's called Snooch. Like she really likes that name Snooch. And it's like, um, <laughs> like do you, Snooch want to come out and play? And she's like, "Oh yeah, here's Snooch." Da Snooch. <laughs>
1: and so she does this
0: whole thing where it's like the whole time is like da da da. Snooch. So now I can't hear I, or think about my vagina without hearing da da da. Snooch. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't it's know to what to do with this. You and thousands of our listeners.
1: I don't know what to do with that. check it.
0: out eliza schlesinger and i mean i hate everything else she talks about she talks a lot about being drunk and girl and like girls nights and stuff like that but she's pretty funny about it anyway i just call it vagina
1: we're... like when i'm vagina. doing it and stuff i just call it vagina
0: do you i don't like rub that part of my vagina
1: I don't call it punani or vajayjay or Vajin or what are some of the other ones. We, we call
0: it genie
1: in our household. Yeah, I remember that. We had that conversation. My mom used to call it a hoo-ha, and I like that one. But I, I would like never hoo-ha. say that when I was – I would never the use that in a sexual context. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you want to fuck my hoo-ha? No. Okay, okay got it.
0: <laughs> the worst word I've ever heard is cheeseburger.
1: Why wouldn't somebody do that? Why would somebody call it that? That makes me mad, actually. <laughs> it makes me angry. Um, so sorry, Don. Like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> Adam needs to cut this part so, out. Well, then I've got to just—I've got it. I've got to. Like, what if this was our intro for Tommy Rosen? What do you think he would
0: have said then? Adam, we'll cut that I, out. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't know how bad it could have been. Oh, God. Okay, cool. So you want to tee up Dawn? Yeah. So Dawn, uh, this is our conversation with Dawn Nickel. Uh, She is one of the women behind She Recovers. Uh, The other one is her daughter, Taryn Strong. And Dawn has been uh, someone that has been just really like a a mama bear figure um, since I have started this path. And I know for you as well, she Mm – And Taryn are both in recovery. don has been in recovery for a long time. And um, we talk about that. And also workaholism is the main focus of this because I find it so interesting and important to talk about. Um, She's just, they run uh, She Recovers, which started out as a Facebook page. And now it's a website. It's a company um, that has all kinds of different pieces to it. They run beautiful retreats in places like Bali and Mexico, affordable Bali. retreats, like super affordable yeah. retreats. Yeah. Super affordable. Mm-hmm. And I'll focus on recovery. Taryn teaches yoga at these retreats. Um, she, they do, uh, they're looking into doing a publishing branch of she recovers. They, she, they're an amazing curator of resources and done, um, also, is starting some other pieces that she that are yet to be um, revealed, but they are just like this growing, beautiful, organic sort of organization slash curator of recovery resources and people and content and so important and valuable in this world. And so we had her on to talk to her about that and her story and um, what she you know what she's learned about that and workaholism and where she recovers is going they're also doing I I remember when we were sitting there in New York um a while ago and she's like I think we're going to put together this a symposium an event and I think we want um these are the names that we're thinking of and when we were in in New York last this spring talking um they had started planning it and She's like, uh, I think we just we just we got Gabby Bernstein and Glennon Melton and um, Elizabeth Vargas, Marion Williamson, Argus and Williamson. Lena Brower,
1: yeah,
0: Lena. And so they're doing big things. And that event is in May. And Holly and I will both be
1: there. Yeah
0: No it's I found them I actually found them Not through
1: their Facebook page At first I found them um, When I was really focused On becoming a a Yoga teacher for recovery And that's why I thought What my dharma was Um, And I found Taryn And I was like Who the hell is this girl Because she had every Certification known To man And then I found them later, and then when Don and I hooked up, I realized I had been just—they'd um, been a really early part of of, uh, of an influence on what I was doing. I hadn't connected that the the two, um, and so Don is she's she is she's she's been doing this for a really long time. Um, she's OG, and she's also oh, like the godmother i mean she is she is a she is a huge 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 part of this and um and everyone should everyone should know who she is and everyone should definitely check out um not just their facebook page but their website um, their retreats their offerings their malas all of it it's a really mm-hmm. really important um piece of of what we are trying to create and, um, yeah, I love oh, yeah, and the her. essential
0: oils they do that they're um that's a big part. I'm actually on their team um, I'm on their Datera, team because I'm on your team and you're a, and you're on their teams, too, and <laughs> that's like something I never really thought I would do, but i i it has become the oils have become a really big part of of my recovery in my life, and my daughter loves them and they're they've sort of like I was thinking about what I could would say what I could say about like describing them, and it's just like adding all this like texture and flavor and um, color and vibrancy <laughs> to my life. It's like. I don't know, it's like getting flowers in your house every day. It's so or,
1: mothering. It's so, self- it's, it's so mothering. So, it is. I've been, mm-hmm. I don't, I guess like, I think it was, I've always been into essential oils. Like, I've been into them since the really, since the very early beginnings and I signed up to be a doTERRA rep like a couple of years ago and Then I never really did anything with it. Um. And I've just, I've always had them around. I've always had a lot of them around and used them, but I haven't been as immersed in them as when um, you and I were in new. New York and you put digest in mm. on my stomach. On your belly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I just was I came home and I started using I had digest in here and I never really I had even using it orally. I'd never u- thought to, <laughs> which God, is fine. <laughs> it's just fine. Um, but I'd never thought to use it. And then all of a sudden I started to like just rub it all over my body and I ran out of my bottle within a week and I signed up to be a Terra distributor under you. Mm-hmm. Um I guess it's way too much information.
0: All right. So here's Don. Oh, that's good. All (laughs) right. So here is Mama Bear Don. All right. Hey, Don. Hi, Holly. Hi, Laura. Hi. Hi. Hi.
1: Hi. Oh, this is
2: testing mode. I wasn't sure what was. Going.
0: Oh, no, no. oh no, no, oh no, we're live. Going. We're just, as, oh, we're okay, just this boring.
1: We're live. We're just being <laughs> weirdos. Um, where are you, Don? You're in uh, Victoria.
2: I'm in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. Mm. Rainy, rainy, rainy
1: Victoria today. Oh, it is. Yeah. I'm oh, trying yes, not to ask about the weather. Um. Well, right. that's lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm in Los Angeles, where it's sunny. Laura, beautiful.
0: And I... It is beautiful and sunny here, too. Not warm, but sunny. I'm
1: Hopefully. so That's bummed because okay. I miss sweater weather. Like, I'm wearing a sweater today, um, but it's like, you know, 75, 80 degrees.
0: But well, you'll know. be here in a couple of weeks, and it'll be perfectly cold for
1: sweater Ooh. weather.
0: Ooh, awesome. I'm excited.
1: Um, All right. So, we are going to... This is our second attempt at this. Um, So, Don, yes. do you want to start by just... Going over a little bit about your story, not a, you know, just giving us the quick and dirty version of it. Um. Oh, it is. It was quick and it was dirty, actually, when I look back at
2: it, I guess. Um, You know, I just, I was just a a kid who grew up in a family that uh, did the best they could and it wasn't quite good enough in terms of um, kind of providing a firm emotional, a strong emotional foundation for the rest of my life. But, um, I mean, I love my parents love my family, and, and I've dealt with a lot of the things that happened in my childhood that led me to become a young teenage girl who had very low self-esteem. You know, Now this will be unfamiliar to people, I think. Um, low self-worth, had a lot of insecurities, and I was riddled with anxiety. So by the time I was 15, um, I kind of started hanging out with people who were finding ways to deal with their own insecurities, low self-esteem, low self-worth, and mm-hmm. anxiety, and started using drugs. Um, including the drug alcohol. Mm -hmm. And for the next five years, um, wow, I was just kind of in this uh, vortex of insanity. I left home and moved up to the Yukon, which is a pretty crazy place to move when you're only 15 and have no adult skills. Uh, And I just fell in with a crowd that was older and doing more dangerous drugs and more dangerous things. And so I have this kind of five-year blur, really, um, when I look back at it. There was just a lot of trips to the hospital, overdoses, um, you know, a lot of um, promiscuity, things that, you know, kind of really unhealthy relationships. There was um, um, sexual trauma in there. It was really a mess. Um, and, you know, there were also times where I, I would have glimpses or glimmers of leading a p- possibly better life. I knew that there was something better for me, even in the darkest of my days. And that better thing for me came in the um, form of a pregnancy when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it was about that pregnancy, but it, it was the the switch. You know, it flipped for me. And I thought, I guess probably looking back, I thought, oh, someone to love me and someone for me to love back. And, you know, this is finally going to be um, what I want and and need. And I don't think I'd have given much thought to becoming a parent. I was 20 years old and very yeah. immature, having used drugs for as long as I had, but That pregnancy really did change things for me. I'm not, you know, I love Glennon's story about she got pregnant and like that was it. There go the drugs. That's not my story. Uh, And for so many women, it isn't. But it definitely started my journey of recovery. And um, I tried to not use um, the heavy drugs, you know, the cocaine and and other chemicals that I was using during my pregnancy. And I succeeded at that. But I drank um, to excess at times. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that I smoked pop, but not too much, I don't think. During that pregnancy, somehow in the back of my head, I thought if I was only getting drunk, I'd be okay. Um, not too smart, but yeah. anyway, that child was born when I was 21, and I really did spend the next few years trying to uh, be the best mom I could and, and had long periods of abstinence, and then at when she was two, her dad and I split for good, and I, I spiraled into a depression, something I've also struggled with in my life and recovery. And I kind of just went back into this spiral of of insanity and uh, that continued, got into another relationship, had another child now known as Taryn. Um,
0: (laughs) Now known as Taryn, like the artist formerly known as Prince.
2: That's her. And we, you know, so just kind of until I was 27 years old, went, had this period of trying not to use drugs all the time. Like, I mean, all the time trying not to use drugs and being fairly successful during the week sometimes or you know i you know i don't think i have to explain to too many people how that goes right i was just always obsessed with the idea of not using i would yeah. convince myself that i was a non-user and i was going to be and i started decided i was going to be a writer and started writing and take a writing course and all of these things kind of i was living this half of my life i was living the way i wanted it to be and living the vision that i had for myself and the other half i was just totally screwed up, like just an absolute mess. So when I was 27, I left my two little girls and my then husband, uh, which was like probably the worst relationship I've ever had in my life, physically abusive, Mm -hmm. mentally abusive. It was quite the disaster. And I went to treatment. Uh, And in treatment, I learned that there was another way to live. And uh, I came out and from that day, 1987, July 1987, I haven't taken drugs, or sorry, I haven't had a drink. Or done cocaine, which was my drug of choice. Yeah, uh, but I did smoke a hell of a lot of pot for two years, and then went back to treatment. And then in 1989, in May 1989, I, I got serious about recovery again. And uh, for the past 27 years, for all but two days, um, I've been completely free of mood and mind altering drugs
0: taken to change my mood. And so, um, 21 yeah. year? No, 30? What? What? 20? 20,
2: 29 years since I. 29 died. years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 27 (laughs) since I smoked a pot and 16 since I took pills to change the way I felt. And I did that because my mom had passed away and we had some other really bad family news, or in my view it was, and I just couldn't cope for a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. And the last 27 years, it's been all about recovery. And I mean recovering my potential, right, which is what I think Mm -hmm. recovery is. And I did a lot of great things for myself, went back to school for 13 years earn myself a phd
0: so you can call me dr don well you don't have to
2: but my dad has to, else has to.
1: <laughs> so when you say so you said for the so you've been the you think and i love this like you think recovery is it's not recovery from addiction um and this is what i believe it's it's more it's just recovery it's recovery of self it's that's i think for me Absolutely. that's what it's been yeah. yeah sure
2: i mean the drugs and the alcohol are just a symptom of the problem right it's it's how, we, how I dealt with and coped with the deficits that I had in my life. You know, it filled the void. It numbed, it numbed what I needed to numb, and it filled in the blanks elsewhere. Right. But right. no, I mean, my, my I believe, and, and I think science bears this out. I am a researcher, so I, I do look to the evidence, and science bears this out that, you know, our paths to addiction are set long before we pick up that first drug.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I'm under the... I mean, I believe that everybody has, you know, like, whether it's drugs or alcohol or not, everybody has uh, some sort of addiction that they deal with on some level. Um, maybe not even, like, maybe not as intensive, but um, I think we all just are kind of programmed, especially in this country or you know, in the Western world, to basically start our lives out in a way that starts to lead us to looking outside of ourselves for something. But mm-hmm. I... I agree with that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I mean, I prefer i I prefer to say we're all recovering from something because I don't yeah. think that it's all addiction. It's, you know, yeah. we have all these other issues that um, are whether they're behavioral or genetic. Um, we 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 benefit from having and acknowledging that they exist, and then trying to address them through pursuing wellness.
0: That's right. So you have a really interesting part of your story though that we haven't really gotten into um, with work workaholism. Mm-hmm. So talk about that, because you kind of had a second bottom, right? Yeah, you know, and
2: gosh, I would have to say that in the f- kind of the bottom of my workaholism, I was probably in as much trouble psychologically and spiritually as I was in the bottom to my drug addiction.
1: I really? mean, the bottoms
2: of my drug addiction really were kind of those overdoses in that five-year period between 15 and 20. And, you know, the, the times that I got just involved with some, you know, really bad things and, and bad people and, and bad activities. Right. So so there were like, my bottoms came quick and easy, quick and dirty, I guess, when in and the dirty. beginning. Mm-hmm. But... But then it was really a period like I said, from the time I was twenty and pregnant till the time I went to treatment, most of it was really just maintaining and you know, messing up and then picking back up again. I wasn't hitting as low a bottom as I had in those first five years. With workaholism, I inched my way towards it, but it was like psychically, I was such a disaster. And it started because my mother passed away when I was just turning 40, so that was, and, and in, within that week, my father revealed something to me that was devastating for me, and I, I just kind of, I, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I'd had 16 months of supporting my mother, who was terminally ill, and all this kind of, um, the grief, I didn't know what to do with the grief, I didn't know what to do with this information that my dad gave me, and so I took these drugs for two days. And at the end of those two days, I was taking them as prescribed. So, I mean, I remember going back to my 12-step program and saying, like, is that really a relapse? Because I was taking them as prescribed. And mm-hmm. my sponsor at the time said, to your dead mother, they were prescribed to your dead mother. So, I said, okay, I'll, oh. change, I'll change my clean <laughs> date in this program oh, because that's I what see you want to do. But, like, that doesn't change for me. I still have 27 years of strong recovery, and that was
1: fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
2: when – so, after that time, um, that two days, I – I remember looking at the bottle of pills and thinking two things. One, I've come too far and I'm not about to dishonor my mother's memory by going back to this. And the other realization was I'm not about to put my two daughters who I love beyond anything in this world into the same predicament as I'm in right now, which is mourning a dead mother. And if I keep this up, this is where I'll go. So it was, you know, just one of those moments of grace in my life where I knew enough and I had enough recovery and I was leading. I'd had enough gifts of recovery to know that I didn't want to go back to active addiction. Yeah. At the same time, I had started a PhD. I had been raising my kids. Uh, my husband had a business that we were, you know, very busy with. And I had this sense of urgency. I was 40 years old. I was behind. Here I am still in school. I had like years to go before I finished the doctorate, de- doctoral degree. And I just started going really fast. And going really fast allowed me not to deal with my grief, not to deal with the anxiety I had about my life, because I didn't really want to teach at university, which was what I was on track to become, was a scholar, I was excelling in my field, and I was gaining attention. And so I was on this track that actually would have landed me in Maryland. So I would have been near you, Laura, I would have gone to Johns Hopkins to do my (laughs) postdoctorate work, which would have been fun. I don't know that we would have met given that they're
0: probably not (laughs) so when you say when you say like speeding up you just you threw all of that into what you were into work right you just is that what you mean
2: at that time it was school oh so at that time it was school and my life became quite unbalanced because everything became about school and my daughters were getting older I mean they were uh, my oldest was a teenager Taryn was um what was she 15 yeah, so she was a teenager too, So they, and they were really great kids, they were good kids, so I kind of just lost track of what they were doing a little bit, thinking, you know, they're great, they're they're wonderful, they're fine, I, I've stopped giving them kind of the attention that I had given them their whole life, I believe, let them drift away a little bit, um, and just really, really became obsessed with school, and doing well, and, and furthering myself, and being the best student I could be, and that went on for another five years and in 2005 somewhere in there Taryn decided she was going to become a drug addict for a few months and run away with a drug dealer so then I just had this kind of other trauma to deal with and once we got her settled out it was like now I'm behind more I have to go faster I have to finish this degree for those of us who know what obsession is like I mean that it was just obsession right getting up Mm -hmm. in the morning reading writing studying going to conferences just trying to be the best I could be, like really trying to make sure that I was pleasing everybody and especially my supervisor and still pleasing everyone around me. So by 2005, I was ready to complete the PhD. we had made the decision to move to Victoria. My husband was driving here to Victoria with all of our belongings. I was gonna come and teach at the University of Victoria in the fall of 2005. And on Saturday, June the 4th, I believe, I ended up in the hospital. I'd, I'd been experiencing really bad cramping for a couple of weeks and been going back and forth to the hospital and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And on by, I went in Saturday night, I was really, really sick. And by Monday, a surgeon decided that I probably had colon cancer and they needed to operate right away. <laughs> so I ended up in emergency surgery on, on Terrence's 20th birthday on June 7th, 19 mm. um, 2005. They removed the, cancerous colon which the tumor had perforated the colon and I was septic so according to my surgeon I was within an hour of my death and it was just one of those things where okay now my life is in Victoria or at least my couch and my bed are everyone I know and love and who supports me is here I was in Edmonton Alberta at the time what are we going to do I need a year of chemotherapy we decided we would move I was obviously
0: did you know what was going on with you though like did I mean did you know how what you were doing to your like did you know what you were in or were you just like I have cancer and I'm sick and like did you equate it to what you were doing
2: not at the time I mean at the time it was just it was just oh damn one more thing to deal with that's going to slow me down and hold me back right
1: but now how do you see it
2: well this is so I'll, I'll just go, I'll go quickly through the next few years and then I get to the point how, where I have all these real awarenesses, right? I, I ended up, we did move to Victoria. Now I'm behind. Oh, first of all, I defended my PhD dissertation in the hospital a week after my surgery uh, in the boardroom of the Dean of Medicine, which was kind of an interesting experience to have. Completed my PhD, moved to Victoria, started teaching, felt I was behind financially, started doing consulting work within six months, um, was headhunted into a executive position in government. So I was teaching, contracting and working a full-time job. And I mean like 60 hours a week at that job. And I felt like I had arrived. I was finally doing what I was meant to do. I was teaching those students. I was starting to consult in my areas of, of expertise, which was caregiving at the time, believe it or not. Um, you know, I was doing, um, Working, I was leading a bunch of young people who I, you know, I really loved. It was like teaching there too. And so from 2005 until 2011, I had another, everything is like five years for me in five year increments. I kept doing all those things. I was so out of touch with my body, with my feelings, with everything, because all I was doing was working. I was working so insanely that I would get up in the middle of the night and go into the guest room with my laptop and work under my blankets in case my husband got up to pee. I would have to close it. I didn't want him to catch me working.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it was really, really insane, and and it got to the point where I was having I was blacking out. I would go to work and I was under such stress and adrenaline. Like the it was just seeking adrenaline is what workaholism is about for me, right? Mm. And I would seek it and I would find it and I would ride it. And then I would mm-hmm. crash. And then I would find other ways, you know, other projects. And I was just giving her. And then I started um,
0: crashing. I started blacking out. I started crying. Like middle of the day, like you just would find yourself. What was that like? What's like blacking out like when you're not? Well, I first
2: noticed it when I would, like, I would be driving to work or driving home. And I'd kind of, like, pull into my parking stall at work. And I'd realize I have no recollection of having just driven here. Mm. Like, I hope I hope I wasn't going through red lights. And then the same going home. Or I'd come out of a meeting and I would sit down, go back into my office and I'd sit down and I'd go, okay, I actually really don't remember what I just committed to doing in there. I don't even really remember what that meeting was about. God. So I just, and then I would, then I started going to meetings and um, I, there was also some unhealthy things going on at work with some leadership. But what really kind of tipped the scale for me was I, uh, twice, I just burst into tears in executive meetings with like quite higher up executives and they were simply asking me questions about things and you know I, I found myself not having what I considered the right answer or prejudging what they, th- they were going to think of the answer I gave and so I burst into tears twice and that was it for me because now I mean it's fine when I'm going home and wondering what the hell is wrong with me do I have Alzheimer's right you know what's the problem here but now you know the gig was up people knew yeah, it's like the
0: facade wrong. was breaking down
2: it was so um my staff, not leadership, who they just you know like buck up, get it together. We've got shit to do. They weren't particularly um, supportive, but my staff, who had been watching this for years, did kind of an office intervention. They came in and said, "You need to take, you need to go away. You need to take some time off." And uh, so that's what I did. I thought I would go away for a couple of days, uh, and instead I ended up off for four months, back into therapy, back into yoga started eating properly, started sleeping properly, exercising, resting. I started a blog called Recovering Dawn and really started investigating my workaholism and figuring out how I had got to that point where I was so completely numbed out on doing. I mean, workaholism isn't always just about work. It's just about doing, Doing, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you, um, was there like resistance to doing that? Like, was it, I I assume it was really hard to slow down and, you know, or were you just
2: maxed out I mean you just you hit a wall there had been resistance for like a couple of years leading up to it like it was starting to affect my life and my relationships my husband was really pissed off at me my daughters who have always been really the reason that I've been in recovery um, they also really helped in this instance they had moved here to Victoria a year after we had moved here um, because we didn't really know with cancer you never know what's going to happen and they wanted to be around in case I wasn't around forever. So they'd moved here a year after we did. And some years into my insanity, um, you know, kind of towards the end, but not quite when I hit my bottom with workaholism, maybe within the year before, they started repeating things to me like, oh, well, we were going to ask you to do that, but we knew you wouldn't because you're working.
1: Yeah. And then
2: towards, and then got, you know, well, well, we didn't think you'd want to, you never want to. And, and then I think it was, Ashley said one day, Well, I don't even know why we moved here because we saw you more when we lived in Edmonton and you lived here. We spent more time together, which wasn't actually true. Aww. It was an exaggeration, but, but that was probably within like six months before I hit my bottom. And it kind of, for me, it was, Oh, wow. That's true. I should think about that when I have time.
1: Maybe but I'll put it still, in my date. But you felt, I'm assuming you <laughs> felt. i my calendar to think about that. I'm assuming that you felt like you had no choice in the matter. Like you, like when people, oh, I when told. people, yeah. When people would ask me about stuff, like working too much, I always got really defensive. Like I have no choice. I have to do this. Is that yeah. what your response was with them? Always. Yeah. They had no idea. They had no yeah. idea. And
2: my husband, again, my husband, these, so there was little things that would kind of click for me. But not enough for me to actually embrace them and do something about it. But I remember one night, I don't remember the circumstances, whether we were invited to go somewhere and we couldn't, or I was just up until two in the morning and he was standing at, you know, the end of my desk going, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, And I was explaining to him, well, you don't understand, like, I have to do this, it has to be done. And if I don't do this, this is going to happen. And there's all, I had a staff of 28 people, they are depending on me. Yeah, you know, and or my students need this, or or whatever, my clients. And he just looked at me and he said, "So here's the thing: you're actually <laughs> delivering research services, not blood transfusions." And he
1: walked away. Uh-huh. But it doesn't and matter. That was one of those because you can make it. Yeah. You can make. I mean, you can make whatever it is be more important than your actual life. Um. So okay. I'm. I'm really curious. Okay. So the, cause I'm going through a similar awakening right now. Like I'm on a second wave of reclaiming um, my life back from my work, but, I'm curious about the colon cancer and where like, and how you look back at that now, because for me, the thing that like, I think, um, hits me or strikes me the most is that it's first chakra stuff and that it's like, it's your colon. It's, and it's like right where your root is. And it's also where like your, um, I mean, you were neglecting your, you were neglecting your body entirely. You were neglecting, you weren't like nourishing your body and, and, um, I'm just well, curious if yeah. you ever come back and like made sure. the connection between not nourishing yourself and detaching so much from your body and your cancer being there.
2: Oh, absolutely. All of that, Holly. You know, all of that. And then some um, you know, again, scientific if we go back to the evidence, the, the evidence shows that um so I believe in, in that and, and all of that, and I've I've looked at it from that aspect and I've healed it from that those aspects. But at the same time, one of the one of the there's a lot of studies that show that colon cancer in particular is a result of using drugs, drinking alcohol, and smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's, it's both nature and nurture, you know, it's kind of both of those things. Right. It brought me back to it. Right. But I do see, when I look back now at that experience of cancer, I think it was interesting because in that, the first year, even though I was really trying to, um, figure out how to, you know, how to get my life back together and I was doing chemotherapy and I was teaching and doing all these crazy things, I was also living in this suspended state of wonder that I had survived again, Right. you know, that just as I had survived my addiction, I had survived cancer, just like I'd been within an hour of my death or moments of my death with overdose, I was within an hour of my death with cancer. So there was this moment and maybe like lots of moments of absolute wonder in that first year. And then I lost it in my quest to make up time. And so now when I look back, I do go, wow, you know, I I look back at, and I, I, you know, I say this often is that if I had to have a reoccurrence of addiction or cancer, dear God, let it be cancer and addiction, right? Yeah
1: yeah uh, right oh and i would, I agree <laughs> i've not had cancer yeah. but i would re- i would so much rather have cancer than uh face addiction yep yeah and why so, is that my work's- but why is that for yeah you? don't like- say that <laughs> no i mean i don't want it back No, no no, no. But-, but why is that for you specifically why is cancer better than addiction
2: because I can keep my wits about me, I can keep my spirit I, you know I, like I can I can I can close my eyes and I go back to those days where I was living in wonder before I started getting crazy again. And you know I now like I love my life I, I, I love my life so much that I sometimes meditate on it and cry because it's so beautiful. And I can hold on to that even if I've got chemotherapy raging through my veins. yeah but I will lose it. If I don't have my my brain and my mind,
0: my That's a crazy back. statement. I mean, that's a really big statement. Yeah. Because you have experienced both. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I've experienced, I've witnessed a lot of people with cancer too, right? My mom had cancer. So I, I know, I know what cancer looks like and I, I've seen it transform spirit and it did, it did that for me, just it was short-lived. Um, but I've also seen addiction and it. It also transforms spirit, but not in any way that we would desire it.
1: Hmm. Oh, All right.
2: So the workaholism thing, then I just kind of got busy working on um, the fun thing for me was after four months off, I did regain balance. Um, I actually encourage anyone who is a workaholic or is a doaholic? to look at the literature of Workaholics Anonymous, even if you're not a 12-step person, their Mm -hmm. literature is amazing. I didn't, um, you know, we do the program, but I I love the literature. And I did get back on balance and I did return to work after four months and was living and working in balance from June until November. And on November 15th of that year, 2011, the year of my reawakening, government dissolved the unit that I was leading and I was laid off and it was another one of those moments in my life that were just extremely important moment because I within 24 I was shocked and I was upset because my entire staff lost their job they gave me a year severance so I was fine financially but within 24 hours I knew that it was going to be the thing that I needed in my life to change my life Mm -hmm. and it has turned out to be that um But I also realized within that 24 hours that if I had been, if that had happened before I'd gone off on stress leave to figure out who I was and to learn that I was in fact not my job, Mm -hmm. that I would have been devastated. Mm -hmm. And instead, I got to see it as the gift that it was and understood that my work was not my identity and therefore I had not lost my identity. So um, yeah, and then the last five years, it'll be five years, November 15th, since I got laid off. And it's just been all about finding out who I am and what I want to do. And, uh, you know, I have to be honest with you. I still struggle. Like, I was going to say a, that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still not. I, I don't live in balance. In I, I mean, I don't live in balance. But I do now insist that I have as much downtime as I need and I take it. <laughs> I have long periods of extreme work. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I don't work till two in the morning anymore. I don't yeah. work on weekends. Yeah. Um, but do I you have to keep
0: like it, it in check? Like you have to keep, you know, other oh, types absolutely. of recovery in check.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, now I have this army of people in my life. It's kind of like when you're not drinking, any, like if you're in recovery from addiction,
0: mm-hmm. right?
2: And people see all of a sudden that you're going to the liquor store. Like, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: you know, they kind of do that with me now when I pick up a new project. Uh, do you think you have time for that?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, it definitely is, and and you know it's a balancing act, right? I mean, I'm I'm Taryn and I are trying to create something. Yeah, yeah, right. We've got just like you are. You know, we're all creating this beautiful world for people, and for me, it's for women in particular. And that takes effort. And you know, I used to say, and I'm sure that you will be familiar with this. Um, but I love what I do.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and that was an excuse for a long time too, right? And right. now. As much as I love what I do, sometimes I resent it. Sometimes I go, I don't want to do this today. Yeah. I, I don't want to look at my in-basket. I don't want to return those 14 calls. I don't want, you know, it's, and then those are the indicators that, okay, something else has to give. And I adjust. Yeah. You know, I'm really lucky we built this retreat business where every few months when I'm feeling like, oh my God, I just can't keep doing this. I know that. Okay, well, two weeks from Friday, I'm getting on an airplane and going to Mexico for a month. I'll be okay. Right, yeah, it's built in. Like,
1: yeah,
2: it's like built-in self-care. My oils, I've got my reading. I, you know, I just did um, Downton Abbey. Yeah. I Kind of met, <laughs> measured it out in one or two episodes a night for as long as five five seasons took. Um, you know, I just I've, I'm resetting my meditation practice. I've just actually purchased this, or I've just been gifted this unit. It's a headband that will help me. It gives me biofeedback as I'm meditating.
1: I've
2: purchased, you know, I've got Elena's um, Art of Attention meditation. (gasps) Isn't isn't that the best?
1: I am obsessed with it. I love that.
2: Um, I love her voice.
1: I do too. It's very soothing. Um I so I for me, I've just kind of come into this like it's a really timely conversation to have just because I have been for the last couple of years um going full steam um and really um wearing myself down. And you and I've talked about this. We joke a lot about the workaholism aspect of it. And um I Recently, a lot of stuff has happened, but I for me, what has become really clear uh, when it comes to the the workaholism and the pushing myself, because my pattern is um, go, go, go and then drop um, and go catatonic um, like mm-hmm. I floor and I, you know, produce 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 and then i get to a place where i have to like completely check out and um, my body just goes into it's like it goes into hypo arousal right like it goes into this like very low state where i'm just recovering i was sick for six weeks last november and so for me i've been reassessing this a lot recently just because i've had a lot of changes in the direction where i'm going with my work and all sorts of stuff and for me one of the the core elements of this is mother i'm writing a blog about this right now it's so it's crazy that we're having this conversation um but it, for me it's mothering myself it's actually yeah. nurturing myself and taking care of myself mm-hmm. because that high low is just not it's not sustainable for me at all anymore um i can't do my best yeah. to work but i'm curious if you like how that hits like the mothering aspect because you're such a mother i mean you are a mother <laughs> to so many um, but I'm wondering how that is for you do you like do you find yourself having to remind yourself to mother yourself and and is that part of your work?
2: Well, I'm really fortunate. I have a partner who uh just because of the the consulting work that I do, which is my full time job, right? She recovers as like a side job I know. Um, because of my consulting work, a couple of years ago, we got to the point where I just couldn't continue to manage. And I was getting to that place where things just, it was going to get bad again, because I had to keep producing. Um, so my husband retired, and now his full-time job is to mother me. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, well, I mean, you know, he does more than that as well. But he he is responsible for absolutely everything that goes on in this household. He does the shopping. He does all the cooking. Like, he makes me breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks.
0: Can I um, have like, him? <laughs> yeah, does Sorry. he have, like... Um, <laughs> sons or we yeah, clone him
2: he's <laughs> amazing and now he's of course he's also stepped in with the grandkids so like he's he's pretty amazing but so that I mean I'm pretty lucky I don't have to worry about I don't do any cleaning I don't do any shopping I um, I do take care of the bills and the finances because I am after all a control freak but he does everything else <laughs> runs errands for me he mails the malas for us like he just he's just number one guy so I have that built in, which I have to say, things like nutrition and having a clean space around you are really important to me. Yeah, I need that. So yeah. I mean, in terms of mothering, I think those are some things that we need to have done for us if we can't do them ourselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah I have a. Uh, yeah, me. I just. But about yeah, but, exactly. but for you personally, do you find your relationship like with yourself coming through this? Do you find that you've become more? nurturing to yourself just in, um, in that, in that mothering sense, like be it like taking breaths or taking time out for yourself or rubbing essential oils on your feet. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I'm so good to myself because I do work hard there. I mean, I don't, I often not, should I say often that sounds sluggish. There are many a day during the week where I literally do not get dressed. Yeah. And I mean, that looked like yesterday I didn't get dressed because by noon I hadn't gotten dressed and I thought, so this is how my mind works. It's noon. I had a shower yesterday. I don't smell. I'm clean. (laughs) Um, I could put on those leggings and then I'd feel like I was dressed or I could stay in these really cozy flannel pajamas that I'm totally enjoying and just treat myself to the rest of the day knowing that, yes, I have a lot to do. I had a deadline for a contract meet, but I'm going to do it in these cozy pajamas. And that's just, like, psychologically, that is, like, my way of saying, you're cozy. It's okay that you're working hard. You're cozy. Mm. And I stayed comfortable. Last night, when I hit the deadline, my husband, so actually, he had to go and babysit our grandson. He left me a beautiful dinner, chicken and brown rice and some asparagus. I ate my dinner, which was, you know, I was sitting there feeling... Like I was nurturing myself. I was drinking water with a couple of drops of lemon in it. And I, you know, I just kind of, I do, I'm trying to be mindful of the things I'm doing for myself. And then I turned off my computer early for me. Um, and I decided I was going to go to bed and watch um, an episode of Grey's Anatomy because I haven't really watched any Grey's So television sometimes like an hour or two even sometimes in, in the evening, it's it's how I kind of unwind it used to be reading at night but right now for whatever reason the last few months I can't get more I have to I get up in the morning and I do my reading my meditation daily meditations and I'm reading Gabby Bernstein's universe has your back right now so I have to get up in the morning and do the reading because by the end of the day I can't absorb any more words yeah just receive them passively Mm -hmm. through a screen Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a television Mm -hmm. So I do that. My oils are a big part of my thing. Um, I do, in the, most evenings, I make the mala bracelets. That's kind of a meditation, and it's just something where I can, you know, I'm assured that I, I'm no screens. I'm just kind of listening to music or what other, other background noises are going on and making the bracelets. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just be about becoming mindful of the things that I am doing for myself and recognizing them and celebrating them, and that helps me feel that I am taking care of myself. I try and schedule calls with people who, um, who, who, how do you say this? Who I either have um, more peer relationships with that were like, where they support me and I support them back. Because mm-hmm. of, just like you guys, I know I have a lot of calls and interactions and messages and emails where I'm supporting people in their hours of need. So I do try to make sure that I am constantly feeding myself back that support with my, kind of my my core circle of women friends
0: yeah that takes effort too like that's a a deliberate that takes effort yeah it's like I'm not going to take every single call I'm going to like take I'm going to do meetings and have relationships and work on projects where I get something too yeah, yeah. so your biggest like I want to I want to um in our last you know minutes I want to talk about She Recovers and what you've done there and where it's going because it's so big
2: well it it seems sometimes like it is and then other days it seems like it's pretty simple it's a Facebook page (laughs) (laughs) some days it's just a Facebook page um I don't know where that accent came from that's a little weird I'm like is that a
0: Canadian one that I've never heard definitely not definitely not
2: so she recovers just started out because when I went back to work after four months of being off, and I had been blogging every day, recovering myself, um I realized that I couldn't continue to blog every day and work all day. And so I determined that I would um, switch over to this Facebook thing, which I really wasn't even into at the time. But because I'd started making connections with women in cyberspace and because the message that I was talking about in my blog seemed to start was resonating and, You know, that message was really the beginning of, hey, we're all recovering from something and we can do it any damn well we please. Um, I just wanted to kind of keep that conversation going. So I started the Facebook page and rather than calling it Recovering Dawn, I thought, you know, it can be, you know, it doesn't have to be about me so much. It can just be about all of us
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and started that. And it started to grow quite quickly. And by that fall, when I got laid off, I went to... um, My husband and I had planned already a three-week vacation to Mexico for our anniversary. I guess it was our 20th anniversary at the time. And then we came back, and it was January in Victoria, B.C., and I was on severance. I was being paid to do nothing, and I decided to go back to Mexico for the month of February. And while there, I was um, a very dear friend of mine, Sharon Lee, who had moved to Mexico. She's a woman in long-term recovery who is living her dream, living in the Mayan Riviera. I went down to visit with her for a month, and we decided we would start, um, we would try and do a retreat for women. At around the same time, Taryn had completed some yoga for recovery training, so we thought we'd do yoga and recovery retreat. So now we had a Facebook page and a retreat, and that was, you know, kind of the extent of it, and then that since has turned into, we'll be going back to Mexico in a couple of weeks for our 12th She Recovers retreat. We've done, it'll be our seventh in Mexico. We do them here on the West Coast on beautiful Salt Spring Island. We've done one in California, Um, and the retreat program is, you know, it's kind of Taryn's baby more than, oh, we're going to Bali next year, three retreats in Bali, and that, so that became kind of the second piece of She Recovers, so now we have Facebook, and then we have retreats, and then Taryn, we started giving our guests, our retreat guests, um, Mala bracelets for a gift when they came and that turned into everybody wanted the bracelets and then they wanted the necklaces. So quite organically that evolved into Taryn designing and creating the necklaces and the bracelets. Mm -hmm. Um, so then now we had Facebook retreats and malas and yeah, now we're doing, Oh gosh, I don't even know. I almost have to look at my list, which is somewhere, but basically we've, we've evolved into, um, Doing a bigger event, you know, she, you guys of course are going to be integral parts at She Recovers yeah. in New York City next May, where we have our keynote speakers. Um, so many of our favorites: um, mm-hmm. Glennon and Gabby and Marianne Williamson and Elizabeth Vargas yep. and Elena Brower will be there. Yep. So that's a lot of our focus right now. His, you know, working on finding sponsorship and finalizing the program, and and just all the many things. We're, of course, we're working with two wonderful event planners and a, and a recovery advocate, Annie McCullough from Faces and Voices of Recovery. She co-founded that, um, as well as Dara Meyer, who was the event planner for Facing Addiction where you guys were, I believe, last year in Washington. We were. Mm-hmm. That was our and first Peyton, meeting. <laughs> and Peyton Kennedy, who's another event planner from Ottawa, Ontario. So Peyton and, and Dara are really the event planners, so they've got the bulk of the work on that project. But uh, we meet every week and, and go over things, and there's there's lots going on. We're revamping our website. We want to start offering um, so much to talk about. But we want to we want to provide links and resources. So we want, for instance, for us to be able to link to hip sobriety, but we want to kind of fix. So our Facebook page will be something like cyber support and people can go there to hire a recovery coach, which they do now. We have a hire a recovery coach page and then there'll be huh. like a sign up for an e-course or, or I mean something like hip sobriety. They'll be um, because I'm also a trained recovery coach. Something else I've done in the past five years is got a certification as a professional life and recovery coach. We're going to start doing um, co- online coaching circles So that'll be on there Um, in our spare time. And this is all, you know, quite, um, well, I guess I won't say it's confidential since I'm on a podcast. But in 2017, you know, we'll be hearing lots more about um, some other great publishing projects that we'll Mm -hmm. be working on, both um, books that we're writing ourselves and um, maybe something even bigger in the publishing industry. So
1: exciting. yeah,
0: so, so that's what we're up to.
1: What do you guys? What do you see as the vision for it then? Like, what is you know around like say, what's your like you know three to five year vision for for what she recovers will become?
2: You know, we want to be. I think we want to be what we've always thought we are, which is just kind of the connector. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we want. There's so many. There's so many women who need what we are all offering individually. And we just think that She Recovers offers an opportunity to, I don't want to say big tent, but just kind of to make sure that all of the great work that's going on is accessible. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, you know, we've always prided ourselves on, we don't do as much as we would like to because it's so time consuming,
1: Right. but we always
2: want to promote every podcast and every blog post and every blog and every you know like all of all of the great work that's going on out there so um, I mean really the three to five year vision is monetize the shit out of it so that I can stop working
1: (laughs) full time I know I think that would be good for everybody (laughs) I think it'd be great for everybody no that's awesome and And you're right there's no there's no like connection point in any of this there's a lot of stuff out there and it's kind of floating around so I love that
2: and it's not that we can't all do the same things. I mean, we can all do retreats and we can all sell oh, essential. Yeah. I mean, we can all promote, we can all do these things. Yeah. But it's just about, um, you know, how do we help rise each other up? Yeah. Right. It's, and so one of like one of the, the, we all like, we have this list of 10 things, this thought framework that we've been working on that, again, very organically, everything we've done has been organic. Now we're getting strategic, but for the last five years which is about the right amount of time, I think, for a business to figure out its identity. We've been working towards this kind of vision. And, and a big part of the vision is that it is about collaboration and not competition. Yeah. Right? It is very important. So I, I do see our... Uh, we've also started, oh, in our spare time. We've just formed um, the She Recovers Hope Foundation, a nonprofit foundation, that we don't even know what we're doing with it yet. We just had an opportunity to form it. And so we've done that. So we want, you know, to kind of... Um, yeah, overall, just, just keep spreading the message, right? It's the message. Yeah, Everything yeah. we do is, is to the message that we are all recovering from something. We, That's right. You know, we, we can do it. We need to do it together. We, can be, we have to be supported to find our own ways. It's about wholeness. It's about our strengths, not our defects. It's, it's all these, you know, I could read off the, I won't bother reading off the framework, but it's <laughs> all there. You know, and at the end of the day, it's about recovering out loud. Right. Um, so that women who, who, who need us identify and find find
1: them yeah No, it's such an important part of it it's just being able to um i mean that's i mean that's the whole the whole point of of us speaking out is so other people can find us and that's been one of the things that's kept i think that everything in recovery so stagnated for so long is that people don't know who the other people are that are recovering (sighs) yeah
2: yeah our i'll just start like our final point in the framework is one that i really love and its connection is our soul and that's soul, S-O-L-E, and then in brackets, soul, S U S O U L. purpose. Like, connection is our soul purpose.
1: Yeah. That's
2: what She Recovers is. It's we want to connect. We want to um, be kind of a clearinghouse. Uh, like, it's not a one-stop shop, but a shop where one can shop and find what they need. Yeah. Right? We don't want to offer everything, um, but we want we want to be a place where people could come and start exploring what might work for them and what resonates for them because there's so many different ways to recover as we all know and talk about all the time.
1: That's right.
0: Well, we think you're amazing. You've been like a, you've been like the fairy godmother, sort of mama bear of this whole space. Yeah. And I know started sharing my stuff um, really early on and same with Holly. And it's just very, um, you're an important person in this world. That's right. Well,
2: th- well, thank you. And you know what I love about it? I love being the mama, and I, you know I don't even <laughs> mind being the grandmama because I am getting long in
1: tooth.
2: <laughs> but, uh, but I love, I love that the different kind of um, ages of all of us who are doing different things. Because right. I do think, yeah. That You know, there's there's me, you know, say the fifty and above, and then there's you guys, and then there's even younger little puppets than you two
0: who are are. just starting
2: to strike out, right? And you know, like we come to this thing called recovery at all different stages and ages. So we need to be able to see all different stages and ages. So
1: that's right. You know, that's
2: why young young recovery or newer recovery, you know, women in the first five years and their first five decades, whatever it is, we just need to shine the light on all of it.
1: I agree. I agree. It's such an important point.
0: Oh, well, we are, um, we're going to link up everything that you've talked about, and we all are going to be doing so much more work together going forward, and May, we'll all be in New York, and that's going to be amazing, and um, yeah, I don't know, it was, this is super helpful to, like, I, I wanted to understand the workaholism and I i don't know I've experienced that in in parts but more from people that I'm around and like really understanding what that is and how it works and that it can be an actual real big big bottom yeah there's so um, much
2: more I could say about it too I, I'll share some resources with you if you'd like because that would be great I, I know I know an awful lot more than I've been able to speak about here today but yeah. I'll just say the, the bottom line is you kind of know in your head when you're when you're there because yeah of obsessive thinking and the adrenaline and the anxiety and like you'll know you know what it's like when you're overdosing on too much when you're doing too much pay attention to that moment
0: you're out of control Mm -hmm. yeah all right my dear
2: okay loveys well have a wonderful sunny day i'm going out for coffee with some friends Mm. and um yeah i'm just gonna probably get a little wet and i've just battling this head cold a little bit so I will come home and probably get back into some cozy clothes and snuggle up to some <laughs> take tea. care of yourself. <laughs> I know.
1: To I was just myself. like, you are like my spirit twin. I stay in my pajamas. I do that same thing around noon. I'm like, well, it's noon. And if totally. I were to take a shower now, by the time I'm done, it's like one. And then like going through all that for what? And I could just save all that time. And I don't smell that bad or too bad. And um, yeah. And then like, you know, two days becomes three. And um, <laughs> and
2: so. the trick is just <laughs> <laughs> the trick is just changing how we think about it, right? Yeah. Don't tell your – like, you know, you have to go from, oh, I'm a slug to, oh, my gosh, I'm taking such good care of myself today. This is
1: awesome. Also, I'm quite efficient. Mm-hmm. I view it as efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same.
0: I put on makeup and did my hair for the first time in probably four weeks. I got out of yoga clothes and, like, actually put on an outfit for what? Halloween. I went oh. to friend's house, and everyone was like, Wow. Uh-huh. You you're a so human. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I know so, you took a picture of yourself in the mirror and you sent it to me. You're like, I'm a hot I piece did. of I ass. I was like, hey, I look
0: pretty
1: good. <laughs> no, you said, I'm a hot piece of ass or something like that. And you are. <laughs> I did not also, say you a hot <laughs> piece of ass. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I said that. But your boots were Maybe amazing. I don't know. They were. They are. All right. Okay. Love okay, you guys. Girls. This has been awesome. I love, love you. you too. Have Bye. a great day.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye down
1: infinitely so
0: you have been told these things before